Well, uh, I don't know about you, maybe you do the same thing, but I have several apps in my mobile phone that um, are to a coffee place or to a uh, place to eat. And the reason I use my apps uh, to order sandwiches or tacos or uh, coffee is because I like to order ahead of time and then I like to just show up and pick it up. I don't, I don't want to wait in line and I'll, I'll do curbside and they'll bring my, you know, my number one meal to, to the window. It's ready when I get there and I can get on my merry way. That's why I use the apps because I like the convenience. Now, one of the things about apps is that sometimes they have rewards and so it's a nice secondary uh, benefit that sometimes I get a free chicken sandwich and I tell my wife, look, I, I ate lunch free this week or, uh, or I get a free uh, hot beverage. I said, look, I got, I got an espresso free today. And so uh, after a while, my wife said, you know, uh, I like that. And so she got uh, the, the app for the coffee place, but she doesn't drink coffee. And, but she liked it because she likes the rewards. So, you know, from time to time she says, look, if I buy an espresso today, I can get 50 stars. And I say, are you going to drink espresso? She said, no. But if you drink it, I'll get the 50 stars. <laughs> and so uh, she just likes, she has like 700 stars. I, I have like 25 because I'm using them all the time. Uh, but she just likes to do that. And that's kind of fun to, to do that. If you have an app, it's fun to get rewards and, and all of that. And, um, and, and that's what they're designed to do. They're designed to draw you in so that you can buy stuff or you can be a loyal customer. Uh, and that's okay for apps. But the problem is when, when we apply that same approach to the Christian faith, uh, when we wonder what is it that we have to do to get spiritual blessings or spiritual rewards? How, what is it that I, that I have to buy or do or earn so that I can get this blessing? Well, today in our sermon, we're going to be talking about what it means to be called to love our neighbor. And we have a man who's asking a very interesting question uh, regarding this very, very thing. And our text is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. And it reads like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. We've been exploring what it means to follow Jesus this summer. Our series is called Follow Jesus, Belong, Believe and Become. And we've been talking about the, the different aspects what it means to become. And so today we, we come to this uh, call to love our neighbor. And we see a person that is asking Jesus a very interesting question that, that has to do with this. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, then you are called to love your neighbor. And I wonder, how are you doing in that area? How, how are you loving your neighbor? Uh, who are the people that you are loving, who are the people that you're having a hard time loving? Well, let's, let's dive into our story. And uh, there's a person asking questions. Jesus answers with questions, and we're going to ask some questions too. The first one is the great commandment. Is it about legalism or is it about relationship? 
You can tell a lot about a person by the kind of questions that they ask. Luke tells us that this expert of the law came to Jesus to test him with a question. Now, when we say expert in the law, we're not talking about the constitutional law. We're not talking about the kind of attorney that you and I know in our time. We're talking about an expert in the Torah. That is the law of Moses. In other words, a Bible scholar. So this Bible scholar comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. And his question is very interesting. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now that's an interesting question. Anytime you're asking about eternal life, you're asking a good question. You know, in our secular world, in our materialistic society, people don't think about eternal life a lot. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone about eternal life? When was the last time you thought about eternity? So this man is asking about something very important. But notice how he asks, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's, that's really telling because there's an assumption that he can do something to earn eternal life. There's an underlying understanding that, that you have to do something to be able to get this reward, if you would. And we also must notice his motivation. Luke tells us that he was testing Jesus. He wasn't really looking for knowledge. He wasn't really uh, searching with a spiritual hunger. He wanted to show Jesus up. He wanted to say, I'm an expert in the Bible. Let's see how much Bible you know. Let, let's see if I can catch you or trap you with my questions. Now, Jesus is a, an incredible wise rabbi and he answers with another question. Now that's, that's how you can tell a good teacher. Good teachers don't just give you answers. Good teachers give you good questions. And so he asks a question, he says, what is written in the law? In other words, what does the Bible say? And how do you interpret it? And the Bible scholar being well informed and very astute, he, he responds, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Brilliant answer, brilliant answer. We call this the great commandment today. He was on point and Jesus tells him, you answered right, the God life, eternal life is found in this truth of loving God with every fiber of your being and then loving your neighbor, this, this vertical relationship with God and a vertical relationship with your neighbor. So this guy has a right answer but here's where you can tell that you can know the right answer and still be far away from God's heart. This is how you can tell right here. Because Jesus almost, uh, most likely knows that this man may know the right answers. He can put the right answer on the test, but he may not be living it out. He may not be loving God and loving his neighbor as he's supposed to. So that's why Jesus gives him an exhortation. says, do this and you will live. In other words, he moved it from the intellectual realm of knowing what the answer was to doing it. Do this and you will live. And it must have been convicting for the Bible scholar because he tries to justify himself. There's something in his heart that he knows is not right. He says, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? What an interesting question. What a telling question. You know, what he's saying is, who is it that I have to love? He wants Jesus to somehow point to the subset of humanity that he is obligated to love. Is it my own race? Is it my own religion? Is it people that behave, people that deserve my love? 
When you ask who is my neighbor, you're also asking who's not my neighbor. You're, you're saying, who do I have to love and who do I not have to love? This, this is called legalism. It is, it is concerned with checking boxes. That's how some people do religion. They're just checking the boxes. What is it that I have to do? It's, legalism is concerned with the minimum requirement of the law just enough so that people can say I'm a law keeper. I'm a rule keeper. The question of the legalist is what is the least that I can do so that I can get the most? Who is my neighbor? That's how legalism approaches faith. But the question we must ask ourselves is the great commandment about legalism or is it about relationship? Well, it should be telling that the word love is a relationship word. Love God and love your neighbor. It's primarily about relationship, not about rules. I was listening to the missions podcast this week um, and one of them uh, was with Paulo Gatan who went to the Philippines uh, this, uh, just this summer and he was telling about his trip in the podcast and, and great stories. But uh, in the podcast, he tells about his conversion to Christ. And, uh, and I thought that was a great reminder for me because Paul, Paulo tells about when he and Cecile first got married, uh, they lived in the Philippines and uh, they didn't have a landline in their home, but their neighbor did. And uh, Paulo and Cecile had their own religion. They had a religion that had requirements of them and I'm sure that they kept uh, the requirements well and they went to church and they did what they were expected to do, but their neighbors were Christ followers and, uh, and, and their faith was different. But when Paulo and Cecile would ask to use their phone, they would say yes and then they would prepare meals for them uh, they were just good neighbors and they would love on them. Their, their faith and their beliefs were different, but they didn't start out by arguing about how Paulo and Cecile were, were wrong in their beliefs. They didn't have theological discussions. They just loved on them. And eventually, when they invited them to church, Paulo and Cecile said, okay, we'll go. I'm sure it was out of courtesy that they went, but they went and they heard the message of a God that loves them of a Jesus who died for them and of his invitation to have a relationship with him by trusting him. And they prayed to follow Jesus, to become followers of Christ, to make Jesus their savior and their Lord. It didn't start out with legalism for them. In that case, it started out with a relationship. And that's what the great commandment is about. Loving people, it's not an issue of legalism, legalism but of relationship. And the second thing, that we can see here is what I call the great disappointment. Is it religion or is it compassion? In answer to this legalistic question from the Bible scholar, Jesus tells a wonderful story. It's a story of a man who finds himself in great need and there are people who have the opportunity to help him. We find that in verse 30 of Luke 10. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, 
brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. What an incredible way to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't give him some kind of legal definition. He gives him a story, a story that illustrates what it looks like to, to love your neighbor. And, and he says, there's this man who is traveling on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was an 18 mile winding road with hills. And it was a risky and dangerous road. Robbers could easily hide and wait for people to come by so that they could assault them. But people had to travel that road. And, and this man traveled that road and, and, and he was assaulted by robbers. He was beat, beaten and then he was left half dead. And if no one had helped him, it's possible that he would have just ended up dying there uh, in that road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And the great disappointment of the story that Jesus tells is that the two people who would most likely be the ones to help him did not. The first one is a priest. A priest is someone who is supposed to be familiar with the law, with the Torah, with the great commandment of loving God and loving your neighbor. He, he had performed religious services at the temple in Jerusalem, offering sacrifices in the service of God. And yet when he was going back to Jericho, he sees this man who has been beaten, who is bleeding, who is half dead. And, and instead of thinking my service to God is completed by my service to neighbor, he, he goes the other way. He avoids him completely and leaves him there in his dire need. And then the second person is a Levite. A Levite is also someone in the service of God, someone who had responsibilities at the temple. We don't really know much about the man who was beaten and assaulted, but perhaps he was coming from Jerusalem. I mean, he was coming from Jerusalem, Jericho, but perhaps he had been at worship. Maybe that's why he went. Wouldn't it be ironic if he had been at the temple and these people who were serving God at the temple completely ignore him? That's what the Levite did. He, he walked by, he, he saw him bleeding. He saw him perhaps struggling to breathe, maybe unconscious. And instead of stopping to say, are you okay? Or trying to help him, he went by on the other side. And maybe for us, it's a great disappointment to think of two people who are so religious in the service of God who would not help their neighbor. But I wonder if it was a surprise to the people listening to Jesus. I wonder if the priests and Levites of their day were only concerned about rituals and rules and not about helping and loving their neighbor. But what really must have surprised the audience of Jesus when he's telling this story is this third person. Because he says, and then a Samaritan came. Now, I don't know if you understand the tension that existed between Jews and Samaritans in the first century, but it was huge. I think if Jesus had been speaking to a group of Republicans, he would have said, and then a Democrat came by and did what two Republicans couldn't. And then it would have been known as a parable of the good Democrat. <laughs> or it could have gone the other way. If he was talking to people, to a bunch of Democrats, he would have said, you know, and then a Republican came by and, and he did what Two Democrats 
wouldn't do. And then it would be the parable of the good Republican. And as much as we laugh or maybe it bothers us, you can imagine how the Jews felt when Jesus said a Samaritan came and did what two of the best Jews, religious people, were not willing to do. He came and he rendered aid. When Texas Baptists were gathered here a couple of weeks ago in McAllen, one of our concerns as officers of the convention was, what, is, what are the headlines going to be? What is, it, what is the media going to report about our meeting? Are they going to report about some kind of controversy that we discuss in our meetings? Are, are they going to say all these people, all these Baptists came from around Texas and <clears throat> they carried their business here into the McCown Convention Center and they left? The only thing they did is just, they, they, you know, they left their money in the hotels and the meals, but that's about it. And so our concern was that we would create opportunities for people to be able to care for the valley while they were here. So we, we had projects in Harlingen and here at Calvary and in other places where people could come from outside of Texas and serve their neighbor. One of the most visible projects was led by, by one of our church members. Uh, and it was a house that we built on the parking lot of the convention center. It was a partnership that we had with Texas Baptist, Buckner International, Texas Baptist Men, WMU, and a local church from Austin uh, that came for the express purpose. But we were building this house on the parking lot of the convention center and people were, could go over there and, and hammer some nails uh, in, in there or write uh, scriptural promises on the studs of the house uh, for the family that would receive it. And then when the house was, was completed, then it was transported to a piece of land where a family who was living in a trailer that was not fit for a family living received this house that was offered to them. And I'm so thankful that uh, Channel 5 picked up the story and they, they told the story of, uh, of Texas Baptists coming to McAllen and loving their neighbor uh, by serving them, by, by doing something tangible. And it is a reminder for us as we met here uh, during this meeting that our religious activity is meaningless unless we're loving our neighbor, unless we're loving our community, unless we're serving people. The Samaritan in our story showed compassion in a very tangible way. He didn't just say, God bless you. He didn't just say, I'm praying for you. He stopped. He took time. He treated his wounds. He carried him and put him on his donkey and took him to an inn where he could have a bed and meals. And out of his own money, he paid for those services. And then when he had to leave, he told the innkeeper, whatever else he needs, you, you give it to him and I will reimburse you. Loving our neighbor sometimes is risky and sometimes it costs us. Osvaldo Gámez is one of our church members. He, he and his wife, Yareli, live in Reynosa. And they are our workers there planting churches in their homes and working among migrant camps. And lately he's been traveling internationally to Panama, to the Dominican Republic, and to North Africa. I'm going to ask Osvaldo to come and join me here uh, and tell us about this trip to North Africa where you saw this reality of of the cost and the risk of loving your neighbor. Thank you, Pastor. <clears throat> yeah, it was a big opportunity to, 
to show love for our neighbors. We were there uh, in uh, a city, uh, mostly Muslim people there, and uh, we were gathering in 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 a in a building, uh, in a training force. Uh, missionaries around the, the this country so we but also we had opportunities to go out and and show love for our neighbors we went particularly but particularly in a public park um, and uh, keep it in mind it, it is a, a close country to the gospel like a, a the most difficult city uh, for Christian women um, so we were in this public park, and as you can see, there were families. It was a huge park. But one, one uh, special thing we had the opportunity was um, to spend some time with immigrants from other country close to the city and uh, show them love, uh, hear them, and uh, hearing if they were needing something specific because they were suffering from, uh, because of the war in their country, and some of them just had one leg. And uh, it was a tough time, but uh, as well, we, we had uh, women missionaries praying in public, uh, putting their lives in risk. But in the middle of this inconvenience, they were, they were committed to love their neighbor. And uh, we were their neighbors as well, and loving foreigners. As foreigners, we're, we were showing Christ's love there. Amen. Thank you. The what an incredible uh, picture of, of a place where you are the foreigner and you're helping foreigners in another place. Did, did you ever f sense any hesitation or any fear or? Uh, yes, it, it wasn't perfect. Um, <laughs> as you can see there, uh, we were uh, the last night gathering in this same public place. Uh, all the workers were there and uh, I just want to uh, share to you this lesson I learned. It was the last night uh, we were there. We were worshiping. We were singing in Spanish. They, they didn't even know what we were singing. <laughs> but they started to gather around us, like, like 40, 40, 40 uh, Muslim people, young men and, and families. They were gathering around and clapping with us and trying even to sing. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing that was like, it was perfect for everybody, but something was happening in me. There was a moment where I was almost silent. I was, I was almost silent what I, I was singing about the love of my Savior. And I, because I was afraid. If someone hears me, if someone identifies what I am singing, and I was saying in my heart, Lord, I am sorry. Mm. forgive me mm. and you know what sometimes we we would be like tempted to stop not, not just in words but to stop indeed mm. showing and declaring the love of our God mm. and that will stop us to love our neighbor amen amen yeah. thank you Osvaldo for for doing that God bless you for sharing Pray for Osvaldo. He's going to preach in our Spanish service uh, this afternoon here. But that, that story uh, brings me to the third and final uh, point, is that the great reversal from my neighbor to being a neighbor. See, the Jewish scholar wanted to test Jesus, and 
he questioned Jesus, but Jesus turned it on him. Notice how he does that in verse 36. He says, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus reversed the question. Notice, the man had asked, who is my neighbor? And after Jesus tells the story, he says, who was a neighbor? See, that's a different, this is a different perspective from asking who is my neighbor to who am I neighborly to? Who, who, it, it goes from, from doing something to being something. Jesus challenged the Bible scholar to go and do likewise. See, the Bible scholar wanted to, do, wanted to know what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And what Jesus said, look, when you know God, when you are in relationship with God, when you love God, then you will love your neighbor as an overflow of that relationship. Don't worry about who qualifies to be your neighbor. You be neighborly. Loving our neighbor is an overflow of our relationship with God. I was listening to the other podcast that Calvary Missions put out this week. It was with Andy uh, Swanson. He was here last Sunday. He and his family serve in, in Western Asia in a primarily Muslim country. And in the podcast, he shares some wonderful stories. You should listen to it. That's a shameless plug. Uh, but um, one of the stories he tells is about the, the relief that has been going on from the earthquake that took place there in February the 6th and how in the border of Turkey and Syria, uh, there have been all these Christian organizations that have gone to offer aid and to, and to serve people. And, and at first, Muslim people were not really receptive. They, were, they pushed back. But after they saw that the Christian state, not because they were liked or welcomed, but because they were committed to loving, uh, then doors started opening up. And he remember a story of when there was an earthquake in China in 2008. He, he and his family went to serve there with the Red Cross and with other organizations. And there was this driver, his name was Jimmy, that would take him into the affected area every day and would bring him back. And Jimmy was a Tibetan Buddhist. And he told Andy that he had a room in his house where he had all of his gods. He had so many gods that at night it would take him one hour to talk to all of them. And one day when uh, Jimmy came to pick up Andy, he brought a friend and, and, uh, and his friend uh, was there and Andy asked him, uh, are you also Buddhist? And he said, yes, I am. And so uh, the driver, Jimmy, turned to his friend and said, you know what? We shouldn't be Buddhist anymore. And his friend said, what? What are you talking about? And he said, well, you know, we had this earthquake here. So many people were affected. And people from all over the world came to help us. They came to give food and, and to help uh, render aid and, and to help the rescue teams. And he goes, the one thing that all of these groups have in common is that they are all Christian. The Buddhists didn't come to help us. Such and such didn't come to help us. Such and such, the government has already left, but the Christians are still here. Maybe their God is different. And he turned to Andy and he said, can you tell us how we can believe in your God? And Andy said, of course. And he explained the gospel to them. They prayed to trust Jesus as their savior and Lord right there as they were driving. And the next day, Andy asked, uh, Jimmy, he said, hey, did you tell your wife last night what you did, your decision, your prayer? And he said, no. He goes, I didn't get a chance to. I got home very late. 
And then I, I had to spend two hours in the room with my gods. And then he goes, oh man. And he said, I spent two hours talking to my gods, telling them, I'm sorry, but I can't believe in you anymore. And he said, I put them in a box and I threw them away. And I thought, that's the power of love. That's the power of love. When, when, when we love God and we love our neighbor, then he changes our lives. Jesus calls us to be neighbors and to love with actions that overflow from our relationship with him. I want to invite you today to love God in such a way that you will extend his love to your neighbor, whether you like him or not. Sometimes the needs are overwhelming. Sometimes there are so many needs around us and we say, I can never meet all those needs. I can't help everybody. And I agree with you. God hasn't called you to meet everybody's needs. He's called you to have a heart that is willing to love. And when you're in a relationship with him, he'll show you where he wants to use you. You don't have to help everybody, but you do have to love God and love your neighbor. You want eternal life? You can find it in Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus. Not in a religion of rules and regulations, but in a relationship with Jesus. Do you want to live real life? Live it by loving God and loving your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross and how he taught us what love is by loving us first sacrificially and by calling us to love in the same way. Father, I pray today that as we respond to your message, that your spirit would be moving in our hearts, that if there's a person here who doesn't have a relationship with you, maybe they have religion, maybe they've been keeping the rules, maybe they've been trying to figure out what they have to do to inherit eternal life, but today your spirit shows them that it's not about what they do, but about how you love them and what you did for them on the cross and how they can repent of their sins right now, repent of their self-effort, Repent of their pride and trust you. Trust what you did on the cross. Trust what you did in the empty grave and ask you to be their Savior and their Lord. Father, bring people to your knowledge right now that will discover what it means to love you and to love others. Father, for those that are already followers of Jesus, would you, would you help us love you so much that we love those you love in tangible ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.